as I mentioned to you on uh, Sunday, those of you that, that were there, you heard me mention the, the theme of the series for our Lenten series on Wednesday nights throughout Lent. And back two or three, well, it was about three or four weeks ago now, when I had, uh, we had the scripture, the parable of the talents for the Mass. And when we look at the parable of the talents, Jesus begins the parable with these words. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And as we went through that parable, uh, it dawned on me, anytime Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, when He's the king of that kingdom, we ought to give ear to this. And anything He says, but certainly when He says the kingdom of God is like, He's going to describe something over which He superintends for the salvation of mankind. And so this Lent we are going to be looking at just about all the parables in our five-week series where Jesus begins, the kingdom of God is like. Now, I've asked Deacon Peter tonight to do the teaching. And I've asked him to set the stage both for Lent, but also for this series. Because when we look at what Jesus says about the kingdom of God is like, and then he describes it in parable form... When we see these things, we are going to find ways that we're not really living according to His kingdom. This is what Lent is all about. God drawing us near to Himself because He wants to pour out every benefit that He's established for mankind into us, which is our life and our salvation. And so for tonight's lesson, He is going to use a parable, but He's going to speak on the theme of repentance. What is repentance as the church teaches repentance? So that when we go through this series for the other four weeks looking at the parables where Christ starts the kingdom of God is like, how then do we adjust ourselves? That is repentance, turning to the greater good, turning away from all that that destroys the soul. And repentance is so much more than even just that. But how do we repent and realign our lives, our souls, together as a body and individually with exactly what Jesus describes His kingdom is like, which is for us. And so with that, Deacon Peter, thank you very much, and and please take it away. Y'all hear me back? Oh, oh, we have to... Okay. Here we go. So... uh, Father asked me to talk about what does it mean when the church calls us to repentance. And as I began to examine that phrase, I found that it's somewhat flawed. Mainly because of what we think about the word repentance as it means normally in English to us. Repentance. What does that normally mean? If I say, oh, I repent, what, is, what, what comes to your mind? Normally that that means that we are going along, we're doing great, but then we do something we regret, right? We do something, and then we realize it's wrong, and we say, oh, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me, and we come back to where we were. One of the great stories of repentance in the Bible is, of course, the prodigal son, uh, found in chapter Luke 15. And there's a a wonderful phrase in there that he's out and he's slopping the pigs and all of a sudden it says he came to himself. 
And that's a wonderful phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases. It means suddenly he came back to his senses, right? And that's our common image of repentance. That's what we think of repentance. All of a sudden, oh wait, we regain our senses and we come back to what we know to be right and everything else. But that's only part of the story. That's only part of what the church calls us to. Because what that assumes is that the himself that he came back to was a good, holy, and righteous man. It assumes that we are on a course and we deviate from that course, but then we come back to it, right? But it assumes that that original course that we're on is a good course, right? So yes, the church does call us to repentance. The church does call on us to examine our lives, to see why we've come up short. And to confess that and to try to build on that and move on as God forgives us, yes? But it is not merely repentance that the church calls us to. There is a word that is often translated as repentance, which is matanya. Now, Sunday in catechism class, I told you that there was a word matanya, and I wasn't going to talk about it Sunday because we were going to talk about it tonight. Right? Matanya has two meanings. It actually has several meanings. One of the most interesting is, in the field of psychology, matanya means you've had a psychotic break with reality, and then you come back and rebuild yourself back into reality. But matanya in the Orthodox Church has two meanings. One is we use it for this motion. We use it for a prostration. The other is for... The word actually literally means a change of mind. Meta meaning change. And and nia comes from... It's N-O-I-A. Meaning from the word nous. Now, of course, being a Greek theological word, nous cannot be directly translated in English. That would be too easy. Right? But we think of it as mind or reason or sense. I think of nous as it's what's in me that says this is sensible, this is reasonable, this is not sensible, this is not reasonable. Right? It's more than right or wrong. It's, it's actually you know, because right and wrong sounds black and white. But it's, it's what allows us to, to navigate ethical decisions of, and things of that nature, right? So it's our noose. The church and, and met, Matanya is actually translated in seven, seven of the top ten Bibles in the English language as repentance. But it really means more than that. It means change of mind. So what it means is, even if we're on this course that's the straight and narrow and we think we're doing really good, that course itself needs to change. We should never be just going along like this. We should be going and getting closer and closer to God, right? Sometimes that does come through what we think of in English as repentance. Sometimes we deviate so far from that course that when we correct ourselves, we actually get better, don't we? There's a Japanese art, and I can't, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, 
but it's, it's one of the most beautiful things. It's when, when you take a ceramic vessel and it breaks, right? Somebody drops it, whatever. When they mend it, they don't try to mend it so it looks like what it did before. Instead, they mend it with gold. So that the broken vessel, after being broken, once it's restored, is better than it was before. That's what the church calls us to. So not simple repentance of, of going along, sin, oops, I did it again, sorry, boom, sin, oops, you know. It's that we should be in this constant state of transformation. Now, I tried to come up with a lot of witty things to say about Matanya, um, but fortunately, I found somebody who says it better than, than I could. Uh, so what I'm going to read to you is an article by Father Paul Tarazi. Some of you may know him. Um, he wrote this 40 years ago, March 1979, and it was in the Word magazine. So he's, he's explaining this is the meaning of the word Matanya. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God. Romans 12.2 To have one's mind set is one of the deepest wishes of the human soul, and changing one's mind is one of the most disturbing acts our being can experience. The reason for this is that any change of mind entails a change in our thought, understanding, attitude, behavior, and even life, and therefore is a direct challenge to our whole being. Changing our mind thus means transforming our being, performing a revolution in our own self. Yet according to St. Paul, the Christian life is not merely a matter of changing some aspects of our mind, but actually a whole reshaping a complete remodeling of it according to the law of Christ as opposed to the ways of this world. This is Matanya. If this is true, and it is, then the problem with us is more often than not that we consider our faith in Jesus to be an added ornamentation to our already complete and independent being or some kind of a mystical fourth dimension constituting a mere intellectual hobby. More often than not, Jesus is for us an alternate possibility to our otherwise self-sufficient life. A sort of an elective air conditioning to our otherwise properly running car. In biblical terms, Jesus has very often become for us a disposable bracelet or necklace. Whereas, he is the head of the body. How often indeed do we think that we are the parish, we are the church, and behave as if Jesus were just the parish rubber stamp, whose shape and content we change now and then, whereas he is the Lord, without whom simply is nothing is, or nor can be. And here is the Apostle Paul to remind us today how non-Orthodox we actually are. The Orthodox faith does not teach us that man was and then God stamped his likeness upon him, but that man was created at the image of God. Thus, for man to be and to be God's image are one and the same thing. Even when man committed sin, he was not bereaved of that image, but he became a very distorted one. 
In other words, his mind began to function in a wrong way, thus distorting the whole world around him, the same world in which we are still living today and which is called this world by the Bible. And the work of Jesus Christ is precisely to restore in us the full image of God by remodeling and reshaping us again. In so doing, he is telling us that our choice is between our conformity to this world on the one hand and our transformation in him on the other. St. Paul understood so perfectly this reality that he underlined strongly the either-or aspect of our situation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our choice, then, is between two irreconcilable perspectives. The one states, we are what we are, and subsequently God is no more than a topping, a dressing, a bracelet, an elective mystical fourth dimension. The other says, only inasmuch as God breathes his spirit into us and consequently is our life, we are. All this shows us why the only possible way for a Christian to, is, is to be flat, two-dimensional, without perspective, as if an icon, as is an icon. Why? Because the saints, and we are saints according to the New Testament, cannot be but flat, two-dimensional, without perspective. Why? Because God is our depth. God is our third dimension. God is our perspective. And thus, if he is not, then we are not. If we accept this renewal of mind, then our mere presence becomes mission. In our dealing with others, God himself challenges their depth, their third dimension, their perspective, by showing them that these are but his distorted image, and ultimately conveys to them his message of salvation by thus reminding them that he is at the root of their being. If we accept this renewal of mind, this matanya, then we shall be able to prove and check what is and what is not the will of God in the events around us, because we will have known in a very personal and intimate way what the will of God is all about. But to have known what the will of God is means to have experienced him. And the true and living God cannot be experienced except as our depth, our third dimension, our perspective. And could this ever be possible unless we have really experienced that we are as flat as the dust of the earth until he breathes? That we are without perspective as the dried bones of the prophet Ezekiel's vision until he sends his spirit? That we are nothing until he shapes us? Let us not fool ourselves. Unless we thirst, God is not the living water. Unless we hunger, God is not the true food. Unless we have been awake in the night watches, God is not our light. Unless we weep and cry, God is not our joy. Unless we are declared flat and irrelevant by this world, God is not our rock and salvation. Unless we experience shapelessness and uncomeliness, God is not our maker and our beauty. Unless we feel in our own flesh and nerves the bitterness of nothingness, God is not the giver of life. Unless we cling to him as to our last breath, God is not our God. And let us face it, the world today is fed up with hearing us talking only about Abraham's God, Isaiah's God, Paul's God, or John Chrysostom's God. 
The world today is eager to hear also something about our God. How many of us are still able to do that? How many of us are still willing to do it? Our willingness to make such a step has to do with the fact that the other face of the faith in God is love is the love of the neighbor, and whoever lacks faith is lacking love. Indeed, our inclination to be conformed to this world has nothing to do with our love and compassion for it. To the contrary, it stems from our interest in getting the most out of it without having to offer it anything of value. Indeed, we are raping the world, overeating, overdrinking, using an unbelievable amount of energy, polluting, destroying fauna and flora, compromising with theft, cheating, murder, adultery, divorce, abortion, deifying individualism and minimalism. It is precisely Jesus Christ who, refusing categorically to be conformed to this world, was able to give himself for its life by offering it a possibility of a new shape, a new form. By offering his own body as food to the world, Jesus made it swallow the seeds of its transformation into a new creation of God. But the body of Christ is also we, the church, and St. Paul knew that perfectly. This is why it is no mere chance but full intention on the Apostles' part that the preceding verse in our text reads, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God as your mindly act of adoration. Now everything becomes clear. Our unwillingness is rooted in our deep knowledge that in the Christian message, the renewal of the mind is nothing less than the offering of our body as a holy sacrifice. There is no renewal of the mind unless our anointed legs stop trotting the path of the wicked, unless our chrismated hands refrain from striking back the one who offends us, unless our stomach hungers to feed the poor, unless we love the world, so love the world as to give our lives for it. Lacking faith, lacking love, Let us at least make humbly the effort to hope that the Almighty God, who created everything out of nothing, will find a way to reshape our beings into his full image, and through us the whole world, so that one day he may behold his creation and say again, it is good, indeed very good. Love one another. Matanya. So beyond this idea of repentance, which we just we were holding this course and we deviate and we come back, Matanya is instead a regeneration of who we are. And as he and as he said at the very beginning, that's disturbing, isn't it? Because we we think we know who we are, and we have this identity. And we think we want to maintain that identity, right? We think that's a good identity. But what Jesus calls us always to do is to re-examine that, the core of who we are, and to try and mold ourselves to be more like him. And that's disturbing. Especially because it means not conforming to this world. And what happens when you don't conform to this world? This world fights back, doesn't it? In all sorts of different ways. You know, I remember growing up, I had like three different, I was like three different people. 
You ever do this? You're one because you, you exist in three different environments. There's your school environment, there's your church environment, there's your home environment. And so you're three different people to those three different groups of people. And God help you if they ever met each other. Because then you didn't know how to act, did you? I didn't. I was like, ah. And these people meet, and they're like, oh, well, what do you think about him doing this? What? I never did it. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my God, my secret is out. <laughs> right? And it takes enough strength not to become these multiple people to just pull back into becoming one person. And then we're supposed to take that one person and change that one person into being somebody who's closer to Christ. Who's even more at odds with the world than that one person was, much less any of those three people who were trying to conform to the expectations of the situation in which they found themselves. Right? Because when we're at school, we try to conform to the expectations of what everybody expects of us there, right? When we're at church, we try to conform to those expectations. When we're at home, it's a different story. So to become one person is bad enough out of all those, those multiple people. But then, now, Christ calls us to take that one person and defy everyone everyone's expectations except his. How many of you, when you first heard the idea, or, or first heard about monasticism, thought, well, that's just weird? Yeah? My dad, at one time, he made a comment, and I don't think he, he, he didn't think it through. But he's like, well, it must be nice to escape from the world. And that's what it seems like, I think, to a lot of people, right? Some people even think church is like an escapist fantasy, isn't it? Oh, well, you go to church, and you just pretend everybody's good, and all of a sudden the other. And, you know, you're just escaping from the reality of the world. But what's the truth? The truth is, we're here trying to grasp reality and shake off the illusions of the world. We're trying here to figure out what really is important. What should our priorities be? What kind of people should we be? But meanwhile, out there... Get home, turn on the TV, and there will be commercials every five seconds telling you, you should be this person, you should be drinking this drink, you should be wearing this, this set of clothes. This is what it means to be successful in the world, is to engage in all this consumerism. And consumerism is just one of many options available for us to deceive ourselves, isn't it? You're not successful unless you have at least five close friends. So sign up for Facebook. You know. <laughs> you know, you're not successful unless you have at least 100 people following your blog. We don't want to know all your inner thoughts. Thank you. Okay? Unless they're really good. <laughs> but there are so many things that the world tries to throw at us as symbols or, or signs of success, Right? Got to be married. Got to have two point three children. Got to have a house that, that you know, two and a half bedroom house, at least, right? You have to have a car that's at least mid range. You no, know, low range cars for anybody. 
right? And it has to be less than three years old because, you know, you've got to keep up. You have to have retirement. You have to have all this money in the bank for retirement, right? You know, if you have at least $100,000 for investment, call us. If not, you're a failure. <laughs> That's the message. <coughs> right? By all of those standards, I'm, an, I'm a total failure. <laughs> I'm a single 52-year-old man living with my cat. <laughs> I, mean, I live in a one-bedroom apartment, right? I drive a 14-year-old truck. I don't even have cable. Oh, oh my God. You've not seen season seven of the Game of Thrones? Oh. <laughs> I'm a failure. I'm a failure in this life. But you know what? That's okay. Because it doesn't matter what we are in this life. It doesn't in terms of, of what the world defines for us. I can tell you that I could find some way, shape, or form every single person in this room, according to the standards of the world, is a total failure. No one is a total success. You know, we sit here and we're half a mile from one of the richest areas in Fort Worth. Do you think that within those walls it's a magical kingdom full of happiness and joy just because there's so much money floating around? Uh-uh. Now, granted, you know, I saw a wonderful poster. It says, all I, all I ask for is the chance to prove that money can't buy happiness. <laughs> Just the chance. All right. Wouldn't that be nice? But it comes with its own perils. Because it does, I mean, it, it lures you into this self-sense of security. We even call it social security. There's no such thing in this world as security. The world cannot offer us security in any way, shape, or form. What does the world offer us all, ultimately, at the end? Death. Death. Death awaits us all. That's the end of the world for all of us. It may come tomorrow. It may come 20 years from now. It may come more than that. It'll be different for all of us, unless somebody walks in here. And we're the next statistic. <clears throat> but, that's the other point is, you know, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing good right now, and so I'm going to work on transforming my life. <clears throat> when? Tomorrow? Next year? Well, after I get through with finals. After the school year's over. Then I'll have some time. Once I get these bills paid off, then, then I'll be secure enough where then I can work on other things. We all do that. I do that all the time. You know? Especially if there's a chance to go back to bed and get some more sleep. All right? I'll, I'll, I'll work on that tomorrow. But there is no security in this world. We think of Lent as, as this special time when we're supposed to 
put aside all this other stuff, and then we concentrate on repentance. Right? And it is. It is a good excuse to do that. Lent is a good good excuse to do that. So is Advent. Okay? And it is a time for us to engage in self-examination. Engage in looking at our behaviors, looking at what our priorities are, because that's what it really comes down to, isn't it? Our behaviors are driven by our priorities. See, there's two kinds of repentance. One is easy, one's real hard. Because one is what we normally think of as repentance, and that's where, okay, yeah, we're, we're going along and we think we've done something wrong. And then we, we say, oh, wait, that was wrong, so let me come back. Okay? That's what I think of as repentance, right? But then there's what he's talking about, you know, it, which is a change of our noose. Now, our noose changes during our lives, doesn't it? Hopefully it does. Hopefully we don't think at 18 what we did at 8 was sensible, and hopefully at 28 we don't necessarily think what we did at 18 was sensible, Right? But we proceed along with this assumption that as we grow and as we mature, our noose just gets better and better. But it doesn't, does it? That's the danger. That's the hard part. Is what happens when we think we're right? What happens when we think that there's nothing we need to repent of? You know, somebody was telling me about a priest and they had a couple of catechumens. Or no, they weren't even catechumens, they were inquirers. And he said, are you ready to become catechumens? And they're like, you know, and, and become you know, part of the Orthodox Church. And he said, well, yes, but we just have a couple of suggestions. <laughs> right? And he's like, then you're not ready. You know, we struggle with this. We think, you know, and God bless, you know, the victims of the, of the shootings in, in Christ's church. God bless all the victims of violence across the world because at the same time they were being shot, there were like 200 Christians being killed in Nigeria. Funny we hear about one but not the other. But here's what the struggle is sometimes, I think, and, and the media struggles with this too, but, but, well, they gave up struggling with it. But we struggle with it as Christians, and I see this all the time. We think, <clears throat> well, they were good people, Right? Now, but they were misguided, weren't they? Because they hadn't found Christ. And that's the tough part. We can think somebody's a really good person, but if they haven't found Christ, then what's happened? Their noose has developed in a wrong way. Because that person, even if they're a devout Muslim, if they're a devout something, they may understand the concept of sin and repenting, Right? And they may be a generally good person. Right? But when you ask them what's right and what's wrong, when you actually dig into what, what for them is sensible and reasonable and what's not, it's different than ours, than what we, we believe, isn't it? We have people fall away from the church. Because what's their, their, it's not that they don't want to admit they did something wrong. It's that their sense of right and wrong has been distorted. Okay? 
Now, what Father Paul is saying is, basically, all of our senses of right or wrong are distorted in some way, shape, or form, and we should always be trying to refine them, right? But there are people who otherwise we would think are good people. I had a friend, she was, she was I went to church with her in Boston. She was a grad student in theology. Okay? She was orthodox. Is she anymore? No. Because she met a female friend. They moved to Washington. And now she's a deacon, deaconess, whatever, in the Episcopal Church. Okay? Because she didn't want to admit that her, what she thought was right and wrong, deviated from what the church has always taught. Well, I can't do that, can I? Okay. Right? And so we see people fall away from the church. People we think are good people. People we know are good people. But their sense of right and wrong has started to deviate. From what the church has always taught us. From what Christ has taught us. I talked about this a couple Sundays ago. You know, the word orthodox, right glory, means the right way to love one another. The right way to love God, the right way to love one another. Okay? And so, that's what, that's what he's talking about, is that we constantly have to regenerate. We constantly have to use God as our perspective on things, not us. I'll, I'll give you an example. Before I was Orthodox, I was all for the death penalty. All for the death penalty. Yeah. Kill them all, let God sort them out, right? Sounded, sounded perfectly reasonable to me. The death penalty. But then I became Orthodox. And when we become Orthodox, we understand that we have to conform ourselves to the church, not the other way around. We don't come in with our list of suggestions. Okay? So I began to understand that this was something I had a problem with. And then I read the church's teaching. I read the church's teaching that, as he says, each of us is made in the image and likeness of God, and that image, even though very distorted, is not destroyed. And death is an insult to God. God did not bring death into the world. We did. And we do it all the time. And the less we can do it, the better. Right? So when I looked at the, 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 the death penalty in terms of orthodox teaching, I said, I understand now. I understand why the church teaches it that way. And did it take a little while to go from a purely intellectual understanding of that to, in, in, to integrating that into my noose? Because noose is not just intellect. We can, we can intellectually accept all kinds of things. But they remain foreign to us because they're not integrated into our noose. We have not reshaped ourselves to accept them. And that's the journey we're on, isn't it? We could probably list all the things the Orthodox Church believes and, and intellectually say, yes, I'm right there with all of them. We might not understand half of them. Right? 
But in terms of integrating those into our being, into our very selves, transforming ourselves by the grace of God, that's what we're called to. That is Matanya. Any questions? I don't know how to end this otherwise. <laughs> yes? If our use is off, yes. what are some practical ways for figuring out how to get it back Okay. So our version of reality doesn't Okay, so if the church teaches something and you're like, why in the world do they teach that? I don't I'm not sure I understand that or I agree with it. Right? <clears throat> Read, pray. Okay? That's the spirit, you know, the, I talked last week uh, last Sunday about the spiritual tools, prayer, fasting, those Okay, those are all those are tools to help us reshape ourselves. Okay? So, yeah, I would start, though, with reading, especially Scripture, the fathers. Um, see what they have to say about it. See, you know, ask him. If there's something in particular, definitely ask him, and he can steer you toward, toward resources or just help talk. You know, sometimes it just helps talking to somebody about it, saying, hey, I, I get it. I, I see why they say this, but I'm just not there. But at least, what that what does that mean, though? At least you're on the road. Right? But that's why we have spiritual fathers, too. Is, is we're, not, we're not required to be our own spiritual counselors. You know, yes, we read, we scripture, we study, we can, we can read literature, we can read every, everything from St. Vlad's that comes out, whatever. But when in doubt, ask your spiritual, ask, ask the priest. Mike, did you have something? Yes. I think our whole purpose in life is to find out who this Holy Spirit is that teaches us, that guides us, that teaches us. Mm-hmm. We're not listening to that. We're not going to get we, it. We do it. I, it I, even as, changes us. Especially me. Especially me. I do a really bad job of listening. I am a horrible listener when it comes to the Holy Spirit and to God. But you only have to sit down and be quiet and listen. You know, we, we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and we equate it to water. You know, I, I want to be a vessel of grace, right? Or, or I want to be a conduit. Look at what water does to a landscape when it flows through it. I think if you will sit down with the Spirit and read it, mm-hmm. you'll notice a feeling comes upon you. Oh, sure. That's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's guiding you because those words are so perfect. Yeah. God is perfect. God is so good. And that goodness comes to you, and you feel it. Why, why, that, do, you, why do you think I can't you, sit? When, you, when something yeah. comes up, and you don't know what it is, yeah. when something comes up, and, and it's trying to lead you the wrong way, yeah. try to get to that. Oh, yeah. Because all of a sudden, you'll start going the right way. Yeah. And you didn't realize that maybe you shouldn't be doing it. If it's drinking, yeah. same thing. Yeah. We can do that Jesus prayer. Yeah, that brings that spirit. You know, one of the, one of the big obstacles. It, it it is a big obstacle, but it's also perhaps a, a a help for us sometimes. Is like he said, you know, God is not our food unless we hunger. God is not our living water unless we thirst. And when we have something like alcoholism, addiction, you know, I I've, I've told y'all many times I struggle with depression. 
Okay? That is both a danger to me and it is a blessing to me. Because there are times when in trying to get out of that depression, I turn to the Bible or I turn to, to the fathers or, or something. And, the Holy, and, and like you said, the Holy Spirit will take hold. And the more I trust Him to do that, the better off I am. The problem is, me being a flawed human being, I don't always trust Him. And what happens when we don't trust God? We don't trust ourselves. We don't, well, we don't trust ourselves, but we get into trouble. But, I, but, but, you know, I'll let those voices of despair overwhelm me. In that spirit, you know, I, I see in that spirit also, and I do uh, apathist. Yeah. Or, oh, and I know, and I, I'm so, so glad. In that apathist, yeah, yeah. very first words, yeah. and it hit me so hard. Yeah. Rejoice. Rejoice. Isn't that a, but, and that's, God is here. With see, you. see that word rejoice is a really hard one for me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Come, do it. Oh, I will, I will. But I mean, no, but you know, and and but but through seminary, through through a life, you know, you'll you'll be in a situation, and then you go into the church, and it says rejoice, be thankful, be thankful. Don't you know what I'm going through? Yeah, but and then you know what's what's happened sometimes? It's like, oh, you thought that was bad. <laughs> Let me throw this in here for you. Have you heard the story about the uh, the man who uh, he was living in a house with his wife, his mother-in-law, his three kids, and it was a one-room house with a dirt floor. And he went to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, things are terrible. It's me, my wife, my mother-in-law, my three kids. We're living in this one-room house with a dirt floor. We're just all crowded in there, and it's terrible. He says, what should I do? He says, do you have a goat? Yeah. Bring the goat in. Come back in a month. So he says, okay. So he comes back. A month later, he says, how is it? Oh, my God, the, the, the goat has torn up everything. It's, it's, it's horrible. We can't get any sleep. You know, the goat's always running around bothering us and everything else, and it's just terrible. He says, okay, put the goat out. And then come back in a week and tell me how it is. This guy comes back and says, how is it? He says, oh, it's so wonderful. <laughs> Things are great. We don't have that goat in the house anymore. <laughs> He's still where he was, but you know what? He's thankful now. Sometimes that happens. You know, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, here, let me show you. So, you know, and, and we'll close with this. Uh, you asked Jonathan the question that really led to what we call spiritual direction, is what we're looking for. All of us, right? I have a problem that I go to. Uh, my bishop. And also have multiple priests and so on that are my brother priests that I can go to. But the bottom line is, it's Christ through His Church by the whole, by the Holy Spirit, like I said, that's constantly helping us grow into the true definition of the human person, which is the likeness of God. Right? I love that example Father Tarazi gave. It's it's, a, it's breathing a whole other dimension to humanity because it's getting beyond humanity and into divinity. Becoming like God. That's what this whole thing is. And so I would actually throw in there, um, quite frankly, sometimes it's more wise before you go off and try to do a lot of research and look up on the web what orthodoxy says about something. I can probably save you a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And confusion. Mm -hmm. 
because God knows what's out on the web and who's expressed it in the name of orthodoxy may not be exactly right or particularly right for your life yeah. at that moment. And so I can kind of help. It's, it's much better sometimes when we're struggling to understand ourselves or wrestling with our sin and our sin nature. Come to me. Let's talk. Let's figure it out and learn how God will direct you to grow into your full self in that way. Okay?